Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Rob from Cigar Store Idiots. You may be asking yourself what Moonwalker Delta 8 is. Moonwalker is the industry leader in Delta 8 THC products, an emerging category pushing the boundaries of the cannabis plant. By expertly combining terpenes with complementary flavors, Moonwalker represents the absolute pinnacle of Delta 8 THC products, all engineered for pure bliss and joy. If you have any questions or concerns about the legality of Delta 8, please feel free to visit moonwalker.com backslash pages backslash legal. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cigar Store Idiots. We are coming to you live from downtown Broad Street. It's a little cloudy, a little rainy, but it's not cold, so I appreciate it. It's a little damp outside. What's happening, Arlo? Not much, man. You know, just living the dream or nightmare. I don't know which one it is could you, yet. Could you tell me struggle when I try to say your name? Whatever. Whatever it is. Arlo. It's Arlo. Whatever you want to call me, baby. Have I talked to you since Thanksgiving? Yes. Like, have we done a podcast since then? Yes. I mean, life happened. I don't know. I slept since then, so I don't <laughs> I think it was last Friday. Okay. Yeah, it was. It yeah, was, we did the was. shooters. Look, I think we're doing the thing. Like, I, I get on Twitter. Sometimes I dig too much into what people think. Um, I overthink some shit. And uh, one of the things that people said that keeps them from continuing to listen to podcasts is... Uh, too much banter back and forth and not getting to the topic quick enough. How you feel about that? Well, they won't like our is Well, see, and the other thing is you got to understand for podcasts, most people, while they don't appreciate it or not, they're like us. If you don't like something, just hit the forward button until yeah, we get to it. Yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of podcasts are like, look, at this minute and this second is when we start the case. Okay. Let me just tell you, this ain't the fucking news. <laughs> this ain't Channel 5. and uh, We all over the place. We all over the place. So uh, if you can imagine uh, trying to herd cats. That's us. That's what goes on between my ears, you know, herding, herding wild cats. So um, we got our Christmas tree up. Didn't put any ornaments on it, but I put it up. We ain't got ours up yet. And I'm borderline thinking I'm just going to go buy a live one. Oh. <sighs> And I just had that debate last night. Uh, one of the kids asked, they said, 
is a real tree messier than a fake tree? Because, you know, when you take the fake tree out, there's stuff all over the place. And I was like, well, the thing about the fake tree is you clean it up twice. And that real tree is every day. And how we don't take care of stuff around here and we procrastinate, uh, we would have a dead, we'd have, we'd, our house would be engulfed in flames by the, by the 18th. Well, and the thing, that's my thing right now is, I just, just, oh man, every year, every year. And we got a, we brought a dog in and. Hey, now we try to make, we try to make plans like what we were not going to do was buy all these gifts for all these different people because we all have. We we have more than we need. I'll just be honest with you. We don't we don't need anything. I'd rather give people stuff than receive anything. And uh we tried to explain that. My my dear sweet mom, she's like, Well, I went ahead and bought everybody something for Christmas. And I was like, What did you do that for? We my wife is one of three and so we were buying, you know, brother in laws and sisters and Parents and then kids, of, and I'm like, it just done. It gets it. Gets and so out. finally, we were like, look, it's just it's about the kids. And then once the kids get 18, it ain't about them anymore. Yeah. Then it can be about us again. Yeah. And then like Tyler, like you know, he's he's 20, so I'm you know I just give him money, and uh, he may be able to buy two nice shirts and a pair of pants. It's kind of sad. Rub two pennies together. I'm like, is that warm. all you got with that money I gave you? So, but anyways, he's like me. Try not to. I'm ashamed of myself. I I spend too much money on shit, uh, in hopes that I can return sell it and make more money. So, um, we have got a great one to talk about today. We are talking about the missing Beaumont children of Australia, South Australia. Um, it's uh, jam packed with a lot of uh, theories and jam packed with a lot of uh, seedy, perverted men and. Unfortunately, a lot of dead children. Yeah, and this has got some conspiracy tied to it. Um, was Alec Baldwin in Australia during did the 60s? Did you see that shit? I never pulled the trigger. Well, then how the fuck did it go off? It was mad. It was Hollywood magic. Did he, you see the guy on TMZ? Eyes, like the guy on, on TMZ was like, there's one of two ways this happens. This, and he pulls the trigger, and you yeah. see it fall. Yeah. He goes, or you have your hand on the trigger, and as you cock it, it falls it fires. Yeah. He yeah. goes, either way, this, and he's like moving his index finger, is the culprit. Yeah. What an idiot, man. They said that uh, that he has just sunk himself financially. Oh, Civilly, sure. that will be played at every civil trial. Oh, yeah, for sure. Hey, while we're talking about idiots, let's just go ahead and talk about this one. Uh, Georgia lost. That's not the right <laughs> one. <laughs> God damn it. They were some idiots Sunday or Saturday out there running around. Today's. That's all we're talking about college football today. <laughs> what the Florida? Oh, Christmas tree. Florida woman accused of attacking a man with a holiday decoration. A wreath or a whole tree? Let's find out. Clearwater, <laughs> Florida. Woman uh, who was upset about the TV being too loud attacked a man with an artificial Christmas tree, according to Clearwater Police Department. Police department said Crystal with two L's. Oh, she's high class. Graham. Graham. Graham, is, that Graham, her, Graham, Graham. is that her stage name? Coming up on the backstage. Crystal, Crystal with two L's. Graham. <laughs> Crystal will snort a Graham. For, no, I'm sorry. Uh, 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm having to spit that oh, out. Oh, there's Black Rifle Coffee coming out my nose. Oh, we're doing we're we're doing everything wrong <laughs> according to this guy on Twitter last night. So uh, we'll probably have one listener after this is over with. Oh man. Um, Crystal Graham was trying to sleep around six fifty a.m. That's the first problem. She should get up and get get your ass up and get ready for work. And if you're working third, honey, you got to wait till everybody goes to work before you can go to bed. That's right. Uh, Thursday, the victim uh, said she lives with uh, had the TV volume too loud, so the two began to fight. The physical, the argument turned physical when Graham screamed in the man's face, then took apart an artificial Christmas tree and threw sections of it at the victim, uh, according to the affidavit. Affidavit. Uh, authorities said that the man suffered scratches on the left side of his face and on his neck and on his stomach. It sounded like she was beating his ass on that tree. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Don't sound like she was throwing it. Uh, Graham, 38, was arrested. Too old to too old to know to do better than to not beat somebody with a Christmas tree. Arrest, arrested on domestic battery. Uh, since then, she has been released from county jail. Fellas, get tur- you a woman with two L's. Tur- get you a woman with two L's. <laughs> Maybe her middle name is a state, <laughs> like Georgia. Alabama, Crystal Alabama Graham. <laughs> Did you see that headline I tagged you in yesterday? It was from West Virginia. Oh, uh, no, I almost did call me out. We will guarantee make them honorary Floridians uh, on tonight's the whole, episode. The whole, the whole post on that when I found it, they were like, all the people from Florida was like, thank God it's not us this time. Should we do that one or the one with the artillery shell? Did you get that one? <laughs> Folks, these are, these are, uh, all you have to do is Google artillery shell in the news. And butthole. <laughs> Live and artillery shell. Injecting with meth. So this is what we do. Uh, we will we will 100% uh, cover both of those and make them honorary Floridians oh, because just, just because it needs to happen. So um, our good friend Cody in Australia gave us this case, uh, said that she feels like there should be more talked about, brought to light more. And when I read it, I can't agree more. There is so much uh, that happened here uh, within this time frame. And uh, and there's no answers. Absolutely no answers. No, there's not. A lot not. of speculation. A lot, tons of speculation. And at the time that this went down, this was supposed to be one of the safer areas of Australia. And it, it it's very pretty. Um, extremely pretty. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, Jim and Nancy Beaumont married in 1955 in December, and they lived at 109 Harding Street, Somerton Park, which is a suburb of Adelaide, South Australia. And they had three beautiful children. Yeah. Uh, Jane, nine, Arna Kathleen, seven, and Grant Ellis, four. Now, let's keep in mind, now this happened, this occurs in 66. Mm-hmm. So... Put your way back glasses on and remember when you grew up in the eighties, you I mean on Saturdays, we'll see you when we see you, Dad. Yeah. We're going playing. We're, we're gone. And so, you know, it's the same same way here. And I wanna say what what I say off air, fifty eight, sixty eight hundred people, I think. Yeah. Lived in, real so, small populace. Yeah. And so on January twenty fifth of nineteen sixty six, and please keep in mind Australia's seasons are a little different from ours. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> They didn't care about those kids. They didn't go to the fucking beach in December. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
So Jim drops his children off at the beach before heading off on a three-day sales trip. Jane, the eldest child, was considered the responsible one. Now, keep in mind, Jane's nine in 66. She's nine. Again, it's just a different time. I mean, she Dude, was probably- I, don't, I don't even want my nine and seven-year-old in the backyard by themselves because <laughs> the fucking woods are going to get caught on fire. I don't want my 16-year-old by himself in the backyard. No, I'm just telling you, it's a dangerous. It's dangerous when my two little ones get together. I definitely ain't taking them somewhere and dropping them off. God dang, that's just, well, again, you're looking at 66, but. But again, I mean, that's a normal situation in the 60s. Yeah, they just, and, the, and that, was a, that was a normal thing then. There, they did that a lot, apparently. It was, a, it was yeah. an everyday thing, or not an everyday thing, but it was something they did a good bit. So they say that um, now the temperature that day was forty degrees Celsius. Y'all can do the conversion. In Almost your head. freezing. <laughs> <laughs> They're at the beach. There's a breeze <laughs> and a pervert, <laughs> or seven, or seven perverts. So a little bit after eight thirty a.m., Jane, Arna, and Grant take. And now this is the other thing that's kind of odd about this situation. Depending on what you read, um. They take off from the house after dad leaves for his trip. But the way another article stated, dad actually dropped him off. Either way, it doesn't. I don't feel like it really matters because right. the one this, article said they were if they left from their house, it's a five-minute bus ride to the beach. Mm-hmm. So he may have literally dropped him off on his way to right. whatever. And and again, this is not a case where we're looking at the parents. No, 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 no. Yeah, this is something totally different. And you can, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I mean, I my thing is, I wonder how many times they had gone to the beach the year before, or a month before. Yeah. So it was probably some, you know, hey, it's summertime. The kids are rocking out to the beach. And, well, it's like us when we were kids. I mean, my our parents would take us to the pool. Yeah. And and let us swim all day. There was a little podunk country store out in the middle of nowhere there's a guy that had too much money but he made a killing and uh it was about two and a half miles from my house but it was like 300 yards from my grandparents house so me and my brother we'd ride our bikes over there and buy a coke or a snickers or whatever we'd go visit my grand if my son wanted to go down to the gas station in his truck today i'd be like you packing can i tell you this isn't this is no lie when we were kids and i can't even remember how old i was my cousin lane was 14 and I'm trying to think, he may be five years older than me, so that would have made me nine or ten. And then his one of his brothers was my age, so we had another nine or ten-year-old. And then Britt was a couple years older than us, so make him 12. Uh, they lived in center Alabama, and the roads were still dirt then, like dirt roads. And uh, his dad would work third shift, and uh, we would just take the keys to the old <laughs> Cutlass. And head on down to the store and get an ice cream or whatever. And the police would be like, and the, no shit, the cop would be like, Chandler, does your daddy know you're, you're driving his car? And he's like, no, sir. And he's like, all right, well, get whatever you're going to get and get on back to the house. And it wasn't even a short trip. It was like a long fucking drive. I mean, yeah. like, it was, you know, at least 10 minutes. Drop barreling ass down at dirt road. Knowing, knowing damn well. That thing would lose, you know, and run it through somebody's cotton field and kill killed god knows what so but yeah i mean it's just that's what i was wondering because just looking into this case there's probably i mean it was probably oh they're going to the beach okay i'll see you in a little bit Mm -hmm. well so i guess they were supposed to be home around two 
or actually probably by lunch, but two. Yeah, Nancy. I think there was a there was a lunchtime bus that they were supposed to be in there on, and they weren't, so they would catch the next bus. And at two, like you said, they didn't show up. Yeah, so Nancy is her little uh, mother's intuition is screaming, mm-hmm. and so she alerts her husband. He comes home. And they began looking for the children at five, and then they went to the police. Now, here's the other thing. Hats off to the Australian police department down there because within 36 hours, the largest mobilization in Australian history for missing persons was mounted. They had the police along with the Australian Army, Navy, and Air Force, along with thousands of civilians searching Glen Oak Beach. Mm Mm-hmm. They went 30 miles south of Adelaide and looked on cliff faces amongst the rocks, went in storm drains. I mean, they did their due diligence Mm -hmm. and not a trace of the kids. So you're looking by February, I'm sorry, Friday, January 28th. Um, They think that the children had an accident, Mm -hmm. but... On the next day, information was received by 74-year-old local residents, and this woman said she saw a man playing with the children on the lawn of Kali Reserve between 11 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. Said the little girl and the little boy were jumping over him as he lay on a towel on the grass, and the older girl was flicking a towel at him. He appeared to be encouraging them. Mm-hmm. He was flicking something flicking while it. she was flicking the yeah, towel. Yeah, probably. Right? Probably so. He said that he seemed to be a tall, blonde, thin-faced man with a suntan complexion uh, and athletic build. They estimated his age to be somewhere between the mid-30s, mid-40s, um, and he was six foot tall. That's tall. Uh, clean-shaven, wearing a Speedo-type swim trunks. Um, he had a long face, a high forehead, uh, together uh, uh, light brown hair, um, I mean, they gave a great description of this guy, knocked down to what what color his trunks were and every every single thing that he had. Uh, he was wearing uh, navy blue bathers, single white stripe down either side. Um, you know, hey, they even noticed he had a towel. I mean, like he they they identified this guy one hundred percent. The fun part was when the sketch artist showed up uh, with his uh, ID, ID kit to draw up the description. Um, the artist was apparently drunk at the time and had to rush the sketch due to a timeline. That, that's the only thing that I see that was faulty in the, in the, but Hey, Bobby's drunk and just drew big bird. Can we get another one? <laughs> Damn it, Bobby, you drew yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so we fast forward to Wednesday, February 2nd and a middle-aged woman basically, basically corroborates what the elderly woman said, but she says that she was sitting on a bench when this man and three children walked up to her and says, have you seen anybody messing with our clothes? Our money has been pinched. And she said the description given by four other people on the day was accurate. So he was making no... He wasn't trying to hide what what was going on. He was out in the open with it. Yeah, I mean, and then you got a, a member of Wenzel's Cake Shop on Jetty Road who actually knew the children from previous visits and said she saw them around 1230 when they purchased a pie and pastries and a couple of other items. She said that Jane paid with a one-pound note. Nancy, the children's mother, had only given Jane six or eight shillings, which is enough to cover the cost of lunch and bus fares home. 
This anomaly led detectives to conclude that the trio had been around somebody that had given them some money. Mm-hmm. And then you've got another lady sees the three kids with a man on Australia Day. That's one thing that we didn't say, that this was Australia Day. Right. Um, she said, he, you know, like you said, basically the same description. Um, she went on to say that he walked with his arms bowed like an ape. And they titled it in the newspaper, The Man with the Crazy Walk. How do you, I mean, you're that well documented and spotted by several people. How are you not picked up? I mean, you've got the entire government looking for you, basically. Yeah. It's so, it, yeah, because, it, I mean, they all described him to a T, like this same exact description. Uh, and especially if he's got a, a gapy, loop, like a loopy-ass, lanky walk, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to change the way you walk. Well, and then you have the postman saying that he saw him. He said he saw him around 3 p.m., but then when he was later interviewed, he said it may have been in the morning time. Mm-hmm. But that they called out to him and said, there's the postie, and he waved back. So, I mean, up until, so everything that we have gone over right now, these children do not believe that they are in danger at all. They're just having a good time. And I guess here's another thing, and I think back to us growing up, I mean, it wasn't nothing for me to get home, and my dad be like, "What the hell were you doing at so on so and so street at this time?" I'm like, "How the hell do you know?" Mm-hmm. You know, and that's my thing. I, I'm I'm just wondering if. Well, here's I mean, the, we know it happened. We all know it happened back then. But did they just control it better, or were they just more? I just feel like it's out in the open more now. It is. You can't. There's so much stuff now, like with social media and stuff. Now it's everything's overexposed. Which I think anybody that's working uh, to put in, you know, put sex offenders and child predators in jail, that's not over, you know, overdoing it. But back then they didn't have any of that. They just, you just found dead bodies. That's all it was, you know. Yeah, and they didn't know how how it happened. Here's the other thing too. Uh, they even Jane. They had came. Some people think that they they have this. They have met this man more than once down there at the beach. That's, they have. I would they say have yes. befriended the guy. Because one of the kids had even made a statement that Jane had a boyfriend at the beach. And so... That's the slow play back then. Mm-hmm. You get them, you know, that's the slow... I mean, that's a con. That's the slow play. You get them in, you get them comfortable. And obviously they were, I mean... I mean, they're playing with him. Yeah. Flicking him with towels and jumping over him. And he's, he's you know, playing back with them. So he built the... He, he gained their trust. Right. And there's no telling, like, I, you know, I wonder if we looked back how many days they had gone to the beach and stuff, which we won't know now because it was such a long time ago. But, I mean, you're looking at. And is this a guy that visited Australia on a holiday? Oh, that'd make it even worse, man. That's like, like he, he didn't live there, but he just visited there. Came. I wonder if they went to New Zealand and looked for this guy, sketched out with his, with his drunk sketchbook, <laughs> trying to find him. Idiot. Idiot. Look, that guy looks like a the sketch, and we could post this. It's like Boomhauer off of King yeah. of the Hill. Man, I'll yeah. tell you what. Put some sunglasses on him. I'm dangling on old kids, man. They're all running around jumping on the beach looking at towel thing. <laughs> I'll take him down there and kill him, man. Uh, uh, I'm not making light of it. I really do it. it. He does a lot Boomhauer off of King of the Hill. So then, you know, I didn't go over this one, but they, there's a lady at the uh, selling club that says that she sees them playing in the sprinklers and jumping in the ocean. And that's right before lunch. Yeah. I mean, these kids, I would, I would dare say without 
the technology of security cameras, this may be the most documented eyewitness accounts of seeing these kids that I've ever heard. Yeah, me too. Like, even to this day. Yeah, I mean, hell, we can have, you could walk down Broad Street right here with a kid that's not yours, and it'd be on a couple of security cameras. A couple of hundred security cameras would be, you know. Rainy as hell. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like you said, they they describe this man to a T. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like you, I'm wondering if he was a, a, everyday occurrence when the kids were there they just saw him with with them yeah and they just thought that he was he was with his kids yeah could have been or an uncle or you know i don't know man it's just i don't know it it just makes me sick i think the the bizarre part about uh when they they decided to bring in the uh psychic the psychic yeah and that's um i'm not saying you know we did a I can't remember which case we did, but they um, the psychic had kind of pointed them in a direction, and then they had uh, somebody did some ground penetrating radar, and then they came back. The police were like, "No, nah, we're not going to take the word of a psychic." And I'm like, "But you were on 48 hours trying to find a man with black wingtips because the psychic told you to look for a man with black wingtips." But you, hell, go, don't go to church. <laughs> no, because you're gonna be like 75 percent of motherfuckers in there. Here's something else. Here was another sighting that they had. Uh, several months, a woman had reported uh, that one night of the and the night of the disappearance, a man accompanied by two girls and a boy entered a neighboring a neighboring house that had she believed had been empty. Uh, later, she seen the boy walking along uh, along the lane where he was pursued uh, and roughly caught by the man. Uh, the next morning, the house appeared to be deserted again. And she saw neither the man nor the children. Police could not establish why she had failed to provide this information earlier. Other report, uh, other reported sightings of the children continued about a year after their disappearance. That's my. Do you think that? Do you think he just kept them, or do you think he killed them, like and got rid of the bodies? I'm I'm going to say this, and because we, and, and, we're going to get into several different other uh, child killers, child predators on the story. Uh, this is our guy. I feel like this is this the is guy. our guy. Yeah, there and there's. I mean, the yeah, only the other short, people are terrible too. But this guy, he, I mean, short too many, of him, too many people seen him. Short of him kidnapping them and going to another country and starting a new life with them, I don't see how they they made it more than two or three days. Probably, yeah, I don't either. No, I, man. But you know, I mean, trying to control those three kids, like the boy got away. Yeah, and then he got you know he caught, he chased him down. And so I know you can threaten the older one. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to hurt your younger. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to hurt your older. But the little one, they're just a, so that's a <laughs> yeah. wild card. Yeah, like that, I know that at my house. That that, that uh, TikTok video. That second child don't give up. I'm like, y'all smell something burning? <laughs> Are you cooking? So getting into the psychic or the clairvoyance, Mr. Gerald Croset, which I'm Totally butchering that name. That's okay. He, um, he already knew you was going to say his yeah. name wrong. So they looked into him, and he said that they were dead. He had a vision after receiving photographs that uh, they were crawling on hands and knees when all of a sudden the earth tumbles down on them. He said they were lying in an underground cave in the rocks near the beach. The cave would be difficult to find because the entrance was sealed off by rocks and sand. Now, he was waiting on a detailed map of the area so he could pinpoint the spot. But someone sends him two separate rolls of film depicting the beachfront on August the 4th. 
And the first was taken by a cameraman attached to a local television station, and he sat in a plane while at out at sea. The other had been shot months prior in the early stages of the investigation. So two businessmen agreed to fly this guy to Australia, and he's a Dutch. He's a Dutchman. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, again, they are, like, throwing costs to the wind. We're trying to find these kids. And so they flew him out there, and he says he had been unable to visualize due to the clamoring of news reporters and television crews. Of course. Of course. <clears throat> and they raised, they publicly raised $40,000 $40, in the 60s is a lot of damn money. I mean, it's it's a lot of money today in, you know, current time, but. But in the 60s, that's a lot of damn money. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. That, now, the, of course, the clairvoyant says that the guy that they saw him with had nothing to do with it. They just met a, a demise. Well, yeah, that's an easy way to sell it, dumbass. Sure, yeah. I, I really do think there are people that have the, like, the ability, kind of those remote viewers. And then I think there are pieces of shit like him out there that just take advantage of these poor The prey on these people, yeah. I just don't get it, man. I don't get it. Is he like Joel Austin, maybe? No. No, no, no. That's another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Not Joel Austin. No, no. His net worth is $100 million, and he's doing it all in the name of Jesus. No fire and brimstone, though. No. He's just going to smile at you and pick your, he's going to pinch your pocket. Yeah. But it, you can find some money in, Man, in the walls. Get, damn, don't let me get started. Shit, if I went to his church, I'd be punching holes in the bathroom walls. Be like, <laughs> it's a lottery back. You know, anyways, that's another podcast. Um, two years after the appearance, uh, the Beaumonts received two letters. Apparently, one written by Jane, another one was written by the man who said he was keeping the children. The envelope envelope showed postmark of what is that? Dandenog? Is that right? It's, yeah, Dandenong. Dandenong. Here, hold on. I'll put it in my Google machine, and I'll tell you exactly how to say it. But go ahead. Why don't we have Rock a, on. Why don't we have somebody that... Uh, we need somebody that... Siri. Can, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Dandenong, Victoria. Uh, the brief note describes a relatively pleasant existence and refers to the man who is keeping them. Police believe at the time the letters could quite uh, likely have been authentic after comparing them with others written by Jane. And that's the other thing. If they've got a handwriting... Uh, it's, it's comparable to Jane's uh, in the letters matching her handwriting. I mean, is she still alive? Yeah. And you killed it, man. That's exactly how they say it. Dandenog. Dandenog. Damn it. Yes. Look at you. Look at me. Cunning it's not Japanese. If it's a Japanese name, just throw that shit out the window. Cunning linguist. That's what <laughs> I've heard. That's it. <laughs> uh, the letter from the man said that he had appointed himself as the guardian of the children and was willing to hand them back over to the parents. Uh, later in the meeting place... Uh, when the meeting place was nominated. The Beaumont parents, followed by detectives, drove to a designated place, but nobody appeared. It was uh, sometime later that the third letter also um, uh, that was supposedly written from Jane arrived. Uh, it said that the man would be willing to return them, but he released and uh, disguised detectives. was the. He knew the disguised detectives were there, and he decided that the Beaumonts had betrayed his trust and that he would be keeping the children. There were no further letters. In 1992, new forensic examination of the letters showed that they were a hoax. 
Fingerprint technology had improved and Arthur was identified as a 41-year-old man who had been a teenager at the time and he was writing the letters for a joke because at the time, as the time had lapsed, he was not, uh, it was statute of limitations and they could not be charged. You know what though? But I you think, still can beat his ass. Yeah. <laughs> I think in that situation, there needs to be some people in some state governments, some country governments that if you hoax something like that and it comes to light, we'd knock in your door. Yeah. And I don't give a shit if you're 81. Mm-mm. If you were dumb enough back then, and we find out about it, you're either going to pay a hefty fine or you're going to do some time. Yeah. Because I have no – I they're right below people that mistreat uh, elderly and and animals. Yeah. Like I dogs. Think, I think they should nail his penis to a wooden chair in his house and uh, give him a really sharp knife and then set that bitch on fire. It's up to you, bud. <laughs> do uh, do your due diligence yeah. or burn to death. Or be like in uh, the James Bond, time to that uh, oh my chair. God, yeah. And let him skatow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ow! <laughs> what a throw up. My uh, coffee. Uh, January uh, 2018, an excavation occurred at a different part of the factory where a small place of disturbance was detected. Between the 4th and the 7th uh, of January 2018, specialized with modern tests, was used to probe the soil. Subse- subsequent excavation of the area. By the police on on the second of February, yielded no trace of the Beaumont children, only some bones thought to be from a large animal. The excavations were based on two men reporting that the boys, uh, as boys, they had been paid to dig a hole in the area at the time. And unfortunately, uh, we'll get into the suspects here in in a little bit. But you know, Nancy passed away in September twenty nineteen. Her and Jim were in their nine. Well, I'm sorry. Jim's now in his 90s. Yeah, he's still, still alive. alive. But the strain of the, I mean, they stayed together for another 14, 15 years, but they ultimately divorced in 1980 after losing their children. Neither one of them had any more kids, which I don't see how you could. Oh, man. You, you could, I, man. I couldn't recover from that. Now, there's a map that we'll also post, and basically where this goes down, you could probably throw a baseball two or three times to the beach. I mean, it's it's not very... It's very geographically. You're looking at less than two miles. Yeah, it's very tight. Like everything's all like one cluster. It's all everything's very close together. So I mean, it's just, it's just a sad situation where they unfortunately were duped. I, I feel like they were duped, and they found themselves in a situation. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company is going to have to use a little bit less of the milk because it's it's giving me the old. Uh, <laughs> The, the milky, like yeah. I drank some, some the skim. Give me the shimps. <laughs> In a minute, I'm about to run around the walls. <laughs> so, yeah, let's get into the suspects. You take the first one. Yeah, because you can't. You don't want to say it. Because I don't like the way he's looking at me. Yeah, well, he is eyeballing you. I, yeah. Bevan Spencer von Einem. I'll give you one good guess where he's from. Anyway, Einem. Florida? Yeah. Okay. West Virginia. <laughs> Was sentenced to life in 1984 for murdering the son of Adelaide newsreader, newsreader Rob Kelvin, and that was his 15-year-old son, Richard Kelvin. Investigators believe that Einem had accomplices and was possibly involved in additional murders and disappearances, including the Beaumont children. However, no accomplices were ever charged, and Von Einem 
has refused to cooperate about his possible connection with other murders. Well, no shit. Because Um, unlike the U.S., he can get out. Yeah. So police heard from an informant identified only as Mr. B, who spoke of an alleged conversation in which Von Einem boasted of having taken three children from a beach several years earlier and said he had taken them home to conduct, quote, experiments. He said he goes on to say that he performed, quote, brilliant surgery on each of them and had, quote, connected them up. One of the children had supposedly died during the procedure, and so he had killed the other two and dumped all the bodies in the bushland south of Adelaide. Police had not previously considered him a suspect, but he does somewhat resemble the descriptions and police sketches from 66. Maybe they should have checked him out to be if he was a Nazi war criminal. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably another good way to look at him. And if he's doing medical experiments, I got a thing... I got to think that maybe he spent some time behind the barbed wire fences. Yes. Yeah. Now His his pajamas were not striped. No. According to Adelaide Police Detective Bob O'Brien, Mr. B gave important information during the investigation into the Kelvin murder and was guarded as a generally reliable source. However, there were enough concrete details to warrant further police investigations. Now... They know for a fact that Von Einem had visited Glenelg Beach to watch children in their changing rooms, but wow. he, he was younger at the time in the age between 20 and 21. So it doesn't, doesn't correlate with a mid-30, mid-40-year-old. But if you look older and you're supposedly tan and... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, he was convicted of murdering, the, like we said, the, uh, the newsreader's and he is suspected of killing males in their teens and 20s older, much older than the Beaumont children. He's like Australia's version of uh, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Now, he um, he also told this same Mr. B that he had taken two girls from Adelaide Oval during a football match, which is another infamous a big case. case down there. In 2007, it was reported that police were examining archival footage of the original search shot by Channel 7 that shows a young man resembling Von Einem among the onlookers. The report said the police were calling for information to establish the man's identity. I have to feel like if they had anything, they would have probably moved on him They would have quickly. loved to have closed that case. Yeah, agreed. agreed. I don't think this is a case uh, like we see in the States of negligence on the police department. No, I think they did above and beyond. Yeah, um, the only person that needs their ass beat is the sketch artist. The, the drunk sketch artist. <laughs> you got one job, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I found him. He's looking in the mirror at himself. That leads us to Arthur Stanley Brown. Glad I got the easier name. Yeah, you jack <laughs> <laughs> God showed me favor this morning. Uh, Arthur Brown had been linked to both. I will not smite you today. I will give you easy words to read. Uh, Arthur Brown had been linked to both the Belmont case, also the infamous uh, Adelaide uh, Oval abduction, which occurred on the 25th of August of 1973. In 1998, Arthur Stanley Brown uh, was charged with the murders of the sisters Judith, seven-year-old, Susan, five-year-old McKay, in Townsville, Queensland, they disappeared while on their way to school August the 26th of 1970 and were less than 200 meters from their house when they were abducted. They only had left home 10 minutes earlier walking to the bus stop. Uh, the rough part, I hate to read this part, uh, their naked bodies were discovered two days later in a dry creek bed. Both girls had been raped. Each of them had been stabbed three times in the chest. Both of them were choked to death. 
uh, before the sexual assault took place. Susan, um, with the killer's bare hand, and Judith, after sand was forced into her mouth and nose, blocking her airway. That's hard to read, man. It yeah. really is. Especially when you got little kids, little girls. Um, the girls' school uniform were neatly folded and placed alongside them, uh, their straw hats and school bag. Even their socks were folded and placed carefully one side of each shoe. Uh, one um, That what, leads you to believe that is not the first time this guy's done that. Or he's not it. That There's a lot of, and I'm probably way out of my league here, but I feel like I've read something somewhere that says that's more in line with a family member or mm-hmm. a female. Right. That goes to tidy up. Yep. They, um, you know, and that goes with the, with the serial killers that have killed women. And uh, they clean their, after they've murdered them and desecrated them, they clean them up, paint their fingernails, put makeup back on their face. Um but yeah, it's just a, it's, it, whoever did that wasn't the first time they did it. No, that's no, not, no, no. and that was that was uh, that was uh, multiple murders later where they had crafted their art. If that's the way they're looking at it, the girls uh, did that part. Uh, the man, uh, one man, saw a slender male leaning out of his car talking to the girls at the bus stop at eight uh, ten a.m. Three hours later, eighty five kilometers away, the same man pulled up at a service station to refuel. The attendant. Uh, God, they give me a name, didn't they? Gene Thwaite recalled later that one of the two girls kept asking the man, when are you taking us to mummy? Mm-mm, mm-mm. You promised to take us to mummy. The mm-mm. two children seemed upset. Later, uh, still later, another driver had a heated argument with a man who was with the two young girls in school uniforms that matched the, the description of the McKay girls. Mm. Um, although these latter, siding, the, uh, these latter two sightings were most concrete, they were disregarded by the police as both the petrol station attendant and the motors claimed the car was a Vauxhall. A Vauxhall. Um, with From a mismatch. What I can gather in England and Australia, a Vauxhall is like our old Yugos, like pieces of shit. Oh, like a pacer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. The fishbowl. <laughs> <laughs> it's just two lost souls <laughs> driving in a fishbowl. <laughs> hoping some bitch makes it to where we're going to go. Um, they also gave similar descriptions of a man with a narrow, long head and high cheekbones. Uh, the police were told numer- by numerous witnesses, however, that the car was a F.J. Holden with a mismatched door. Uh, and given the description of what happened uh, happened to the make- match car park near the bodies were found, police focused on finding the vehicle above all else. The police sketch was never circulated to the media as the car was thought to be a key piece of information. The F.J. Holden was never located. Uh, vital witness statements were not treated seriously, and the case quickly went cold. This goes back to when we talked to James when we did Behind the Blue Line, and he's when when he gets a nine one one call, they uh you know it's it's a heightened situation. People are calling in. It's like there's a guy in here, and he's wearing a, a black hat and a red shirt. And a pair of jeans uh, with a pair of black shoes, and he's shooting a gun. So they go into it, and the guy's actually wearing a black hat and a red shirt. You know, it just people get stuff transposed during a during a crisis. Yeah, and it's like that whole thing, that situational awareness video where they tell you to concentrate, count how many times the guy bounces the ball, and then they ask you if you saw the gorilla walk through, and you're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And so yeah. they play it again. Sure enough, there's a damn gorilla walk. Oh wow! So, so that's the thing. I mean, if you're concentrating on one thing, like the gun your subconscious is trying to 
fill in those blanks. And, that, yeah. and I read a great thing on that. It's not people misremembering, and it's not people lying, but this is where eyewitness accounts like um, Buchholz said are not very reliable because if you're under stress, unless you've been taught, trained how to control that stress and still be functional, your mind just fills in the blanks of what is around. And that makes perfect sense. You, you may have could have told them that I saw four grooves on the barrel of the gun and it had a green dot on the end, and that may be 100% on, but you couldn't tell them if he had a mole under his left eye or what color hat what he, he looked had. What he looked like, yeah. Because you're concentrating on one thing, and so when you try to remember, your mind just kind of fills in the blanks. Well, it's dark, maybe it's black, or it's bright, maybe it's red, yeah. and it could have been... Or he's like navy blue instead of black. Right. Yeah. So they, yeah, they just kind of go into it blind. But I think this happened on this case uh, with this guy. I think, I think law enforcement got fixated on the top of a car, and the reports were completely wrong on what type of car it was. Now, this guy is a, a, a Class A piece of shit. No doubt. Because within weeks of him being arrested, his, uh, it comes to light that eight, his eight stepchildren and their friends, ages 3 to 10, were molested by this guy. Mm-hmm. And his wife had sought legal advice back in 1982 because she was hearing from other family members that he was Chester Chester. Yeah. So, again, I just, you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure he did the Beaumont case, but they did get a piece of shit off the, off they the streets. They did. And I, here's my thing. Again, I don't care. It's kind of like the Nazi war criminals. I don't care if you're 97 years old. If it comes to light that you touch children, you should be flogged in the square. Yeah. Let me give me a give me a job, government. I will do it for free. Um, the other thing too, um, when it was you'd get back went back to the family that he had molested. Um, he actually took those those people that he. He molested down to that dry creek bed where he found those the McKay the McKay sisters were found, so that was his place, you know. Well, he did confess on two separate occasions uh, to a nineteen-year-old John White while they were drinking at a tavern that he had uh, killed the McKay sisters, and then again to an apprentice carpenter he was working with that he had been uh, convicted. Here's the thing, though. Supposedly, at the end of the trial, they couldn't. The jurors couldn't agree on whether or not he should be charged with pedophilia. How do you not agree? <laughs> I don't Eight know. of his stepchildren come forward and said, between the ages of three and ten, he touched my private part, my no-no spots. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Here's the kicker on all of it: um, Brown died an innocent man. Yeah. Uh, haven't never been convicted of any crimes he was charged, including rape of six children, the McKay murder, and 45 sexual assault charges. He was never charged. And here's the thing, though. He had the perfect job. He was a maintenance carpenter for the Department of Public Works until he retired at the age of 65. He was a carpenter from 46 to 77. Perfect job. Yep, yep unrecognizable those guys are nobody's looking at that nope nobody's looking in that direction that's why in those movies they put on those blue coveralls because you're just a a maintenance worker phone man repairman and 
we see those all the time. It's so it's funny you say that when you talk about movies because if, if you go back and watch the original Manhunter, uh, not the not the one that they updated with Ed Norton, but the original one, that guy wore blue coveralls. If you look at the movie uh, that um, what's his name uh, Wesley Snipes, not Wesley Snipes. Oh my God, Denzel Washington and uh, and Jared Leto. Jared Leto was a maintenance man. Yeah, wore blue coveralls. It's crazy that you say that. I mean, it's, about it's crazy about how that stuff, you know, is, I don't know. But anyway, it's, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They love that, though. That's, yeah. that's their thrill they get. I just, I don't know, man. It's just, ugh. But, no, Brown is a, a class A piece of shit, and he may have passed on, but you know what? He, he'll get his. So we get now to James Ryan O'Neill. Um, in the early seventies, he was actually born Lee Anthony Brigart in 1947, but changed his name to James O'Neill because I think he probably got teased about his Lee Brigart. Yeah, and they didn't spell it L E E. No, no. Now he was jailed for life in '75 for the murder of a nine-year-old boy in Tasmania, and he had told a station owner in Kimberley and several other acquaintances that he was responsible for the dis- disappearance of the Beaumont children. In 2006, he lost an injunction in the High Court of Australia to stop a broadcast of the documentary The Fisherman, which attempted to link him to the Beaumont case. The documentary actually actually aired on the 26th of October in 2006 on ABC. Oh, we need to try to find that. Yeah, that'd be good. No, I mean, it's... I don't know. He was a frequent traveler between Melbourne and Cooper Petty in South Australia. Uh, he then obtained work on a cattle station. Um, he worked in the opal industry between 65 and 68, and that's where he traveled the most. In 69, he, a business partner, partner accidentally shot him in the head while playing with a pistol. Oops. The bullet which entered his right forehead came out his neck, destroyed his sense of smell and taste. He went on to give many reasons for the bullet wound to various people, including being the result of serving in Vietnam, that his mother's boyfriend had shot him, and being a Australian government spy. So there goes our frontal lobe damage. Yep. Frontal lobe damage disconnect. Um, That's crazy. In 71, he's charged with 12 offenses involving abductions and sexual assaults of four boys in Victoria. He skips out on bail and fled to Western Australia. That's it, man. Frontal lobe damage. It just disconnected him, and he starts his uh, reign of terror. And then in November of 74, he moves to Tasmania, where he changes his name to O'Neill. So I I apologize. He didn't change his name because he was made fun of. He changed his name because he was hiding... But in February of 75, nine-year-old Ricky John Smith, also known as Ricky Cube, was abducted by O'Neill. And just like happens in a lot of these cases, O'Neill was in the search party looking for the boy. And over the next two weeks, five, five more children were abducted in separate incidences, but all managed to escape. Nine-year-old Bruce Colin Wilson was then abducted, and his body was actually found in May of 75 near the Risdon Vale. O'Neill was a suspect, and after interrogation, led police to the body of Ricky Smith. I'd like to see that interrogation tape. Yeah. Or just hear it. You know, in 75, it's just probably audio. Yeah. Probably a lot of head bouncing off the door. Yeah. Did <laughs> you kill him? Who's knocking on the door? <laughs> Somebody keeps beating on the door. <laughs> Although he was arrested for both murders, he was only tried for Ricky's murder following legal practices at the time. 
He pled insanity due to his head injuries from being shot in 69 and claimed that police had held a gun to his head to get his confession. Of course they did. They probably did. But this time the jury got it right, and he was found guilty and was jailed for life. He applied for parole in 91 and again in 05, but was turned down and has not reapplied. He remains Tasmania's longest-serving prisoner. Wow. Man. I just... And then, you know, we kind of get into some other dealings with this case. You know, there's been some, a lot of documentaries, uh, some proposed documentaries down there. They wanted to do one on O'Neill in the nineties and the former detective at the time kind of declined and said, no, um, in 98, uh, Gordon Davey read in a news report that O'Neill had been transferred to the low security Hayes prison farm and was allowing, was allowed to go fishing in the Derwent river unsupervised. Davey wrote to O'Neill asking for permission to interview him. Now, O'Neill claims he had never been even received so much as a parking ticket before the murders. Davey contacted Widgery and told her he didn't believe a word O'Neill had said, and he thought that there would be a story. Over the next four years, Davey recorded hundreds of hours of their conversations. So that right there will prove if he's crazy or if he's manipulative yeah yeah and and by reading what he said he said that uh he's one of the most likable young men you'll ever meet on the first day of filming there were six or seven out there at the end of the day I, and he asked him what did you think of him he said there's no way this guy did it you've mistaken um this guy could never do it so that that leads to the whole entire point of you saying that he's manipulative i mean they can take that whole conversation all those hours of uh of that interview and 100% say this guy's mentally competent. I mean, if, if he's a raging lunatic, if he's, you know, talking about, you know, hiding in the closet with a peanut butter and his dog at a young age and, you know, and stuff like that, maybe he could be like an Israel keys too. Cause I mean, Israel keys played all them bastards for cigars and, he wasn't going to tell him anything and this and that and the other too. So, I mean, I don't know, man. It's This is an odd situation. And I think O'Neill probably deserves an episode on himself. I mean, he's very, very, I would say intelligent. Yeah. At the least. Um, downright manipulative. But, yeah, I mean, he goes on to sue um, one of the film companies the australian broadcasting company um i don't know man i mean in the 70s o'neill told station owner uh in the kimber in the kimberly and several other acquaintances that he was responsible for the disappearance of the beaumont children although o'neill claims never to have visited uh visited in uh adelaide adelaide uh the road to travel from Victoria to uh, Cooper Petty Pass through is through Adelaide. Uh, the Tasmanian Police Commissioner uh, Richard McCready was also interviewed for the documentary and claimed that O'Neill was going backwards and forwards through Adelaide frequently at about the time uh, of the murders. When he asked if he had murdered the children, O'Neill replied, "Look, on legal advice, I'm not going to say um, whether I was or was not there." Um, O'Neill has never spoken on the subject again. He now denies uh, being in South Australia between 65 and 68. Although Davy and McCready don't believe uh, he's a prime suspect and both admit possibly that O'Neill was responsible, 
The South Australian police, however, interviewed O'Neill and discounted them, discounted him as a suspect. Rich McCready, the retired Tasmanian police commissioner, has described O'Neill as probably the most cold-blooded, calculated, calculated murder I've ever dealt with. Uh, so it just goes back to the whole thing, what you were talking about uh, with the interview. Uh, he's he's manipulating this guy. He's befriended this guy. They're like best buds. And the guy's like, no, man, he, he could have never done this. He's one of the nicest people in the world. And you got the police commissioner saying he's the most calculating, cold-blooded killer he's ever met. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Those are the types of people that scare the shit out of me, really, to be honest with you. They can flip it on and off like Yeah. We were just talking off air about Dexter. I mean, that's a perfect. He has faked, and, and I know it's theater, theatrical, television, it's all whatever. It's based loosely off of something. Yeah. I just wonder who Dexter came from. Right. <laughs> but, you know, he's he taught himself how to show empathy and sympathy, and when it comes down to brass tacks, he don't give two shits. He's a fucking robot. Yep. That's and it. I think that's what that O'Neill yeah, guy is. Yeah, I agree with you. And, I I, agree. and just like you had stated previously, frontal lobe, man, that'll fuck your world yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Now we get to Derek Ernest Percy. Percy? Percy! Unfortunately, uh, he passed away in 2013, but he was Victoria's then longest serving prisoner, and they believe he is involved in the Beaumont case. Mm-hmm. Um, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity for the 69 murder of Yvonne Tuoy. His insanity plea in the murder was at least partially based on his suffering a psychological condition that could prevent him from remembering details of his actions. He was supposed, supposed, that's what we say down here. Supposed to. He was supposed to. He was supposed to have indicated that he believed he might have killed the Beaumont children as he was in the area at the time, but he had no recollection of actually doing so. On the 30th of August in 2007, the Victoria Police successfully applied for permission to question Percy in relation to the Beaumont disappearance. In 66, he was 17 and therefore, again, supposedly too young to have been the man at the beach. But Mm -hmm. again, you know, it's hard to just think about, I don't really put a whole lot of stock in that age thing. In that 30, 40? Because what if, like we said, what if... uh, I will walk outside in blue coveralls, and I, I just take this kid's. If I didn't have my beard, hell, you might say that I'm between the ages of 25 and 40, and I'm way past 40. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, we ain't way past it. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. on the downside of it. <laughs> yeah, we're on the downside of 40. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I could look. You can make yourself look not your age. I get and, and age is so subjective. This guy, man. the one thing I think about though when we go back to the very beginning we talk about the slender man, uh the 30 40, if so many people hadn't seen him and said he's probably in his 30s or 40s, I I can kind of give some validity to that. But with so many eyewitness That's true. accounts. I didn't think about that. I mean, there's so many people that said that. Um who knows, man? Who knows? I think that's our guy though. I mean, I 100% think it's our guy. Um, let's get to Anthony. Anthony, Alan Anthony Monroe. He looks like a uh, he looks like a fine wine connoisseur. Yeah, he does. He don't know shit about check about buying clothes. No, but that used to be on a table somewhere. It did. <laughs> they put buttons on it. Shit. Yeah, it did. It's a pizza place back in the seventies. He's like he's like the rest of his shirt's got a body wrapped up in it. 
<laughs> That's my souvenir from it, the murder. Hey, I made just, a shirt. Water, out of the... water just beads off the front of this. <laughs> God dang it. Um, and on uh, 2015, a man, Alan Maxwell, uh, is it McIntyre, died uh, June uh, 2017, who had himself been investigated and cleared uh, from any involvement with the Beaumont case. Uh, it gave a secondhand account of a man he'd known in 1966 called Alan Anthony Monroe. Uh, had come to his home with the children's bodies in the boot of his car, which in the United States is the trunk of the car. We're, see, we're educating ourselves and our listeners. Uh, McIntyre said the children, uh, that they and their father initially mistook the body of, uh, uh, was it Arna, Arna Beaumont for yeah. the boy because of her short hair. Monroe was formerly a scoutmaster who had pleaded to 10 sex crimes against children, including burglary, uh, indecent assault against several victims in South Australia's Kangaroo Island, Rapid Bay, in uh and the Glenel area. In the Glenel in the Glenel area. He's between in the area. sixty-two to eighty-three. Three. Twenty-one, 21 years. years. He had been sentenced to ten years in prison with a non parole period after five uh, years and five months. In nineteen ninety two Monroe was convicted uh, over a 1990 incident, uh, incident assault when it was a, an 11 year old boy and sentenced to seven months in prison. How do you only get fucking seven months, dude? Well, he showed him his PP. Uh, he didn't he, touch his PP. He just showed yeah. him his PP. Uh, he moved to Cambodia, which you'll go outside and see if, well, how many years we get if we just flash people. <laughs> dude, this is even worse. He moved to Cambodia in 2009, oh. became involved in charities for orphaned Cambodians. Yeah. You know what that means? Yeah. Uh, in June of 19, I'm sorry, June of 2017, Adelaide detectives were given a copy of a child's diary written in 1966, which allegedly placed Monroe in the vicinity of the Glenick Beach. At the time of the children's disappearance, Monroe returned to Adelaide for questioning from Cambodia, where he operated a ladyboy bar. Uh, if you don't know what that is, watch the hangover. Watch the hangover. It's Bangkok, honey. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the best scene out of the it whole is, movie. It is. <laughs> not appropriate right now. I would love to say what would Sue said, but I'm just going to not say it. Yeah. Um, police believe that Monroe was in Allende, uh, Allen, Allenade, Adelaide. Ad- Adelaide. God dang it. I keep looking at it singing, uh, singing Adele songs every time I look at that word. Um, around the time when the Beaumont children vanished, but there's no evidence linking him to the disappearance. So that one weighs... He's better than most. Yeah. Oh, Anthony, maybe, yeah. may, maybe. I mean, he's a serial pervert, no doubt. Yeah. Now we get to Harry Phipps. And looking at Harry's picture. Who does he look like? If he was a little bit thinner in the face, he looks like that. He uh, does. The drunken sketch. The drunken sketch. So, I mean, if I was drunk, I might draw him a little skinnier. Social elite. Factory owner. Yep. Here we go. And he was identified as a possible suspect after the publication of the book, The Satin Man, which uncovers the mystery of the missing Beaumont children in 2013. The book did not name the identity of the Satin Man, but his estranged son identified him soon after as the Satin Man and the possible murderer. Wow. He bore a substantial likeness to the police artist's impression and of the he man. he did. He was a relatively tall man, around six foot one. And he did have light brown hair in 66, has a thin face, was wealthy, 
and known to be in the habit of giving out one pound notes. Was Which was used in the store to buy the, the drink. And was later alleged to have pedophile tendencies. How do you have, you either are or you're not. You yeah. don't have tendencies. Yeah. It's kind of like child sex worker. That's not true. There's no such thing. You that either, term doesn't exist. Yeah. And he lived only 300 meters away from the Glenelg Beach on the corner of Augusta Street and Sussex Street. His birth date of the 1st of July of 1917 made him 48 years of age at the time of the Beaumont disappearance. Those that knew him at this time said he looked a lot younger than his 48. And that's what mm. I was just talking about. So this age discrepancy leaves a question mark next to Mr. Harry Phipps as possibly being the abductor who may have looked around 35 but was actually 48. In 07, Phipps' son Hayden, who was 15 at the time of the disappearance, came forward to researchers with the claim that he had seen the children in his father's yard that day. Two other people, which were youths at the time, said they had been paid by Phipps to dig a two-by-one-by-two-meter hole. So you're looking at a little bit more than... What is that? Six feet by three feet by six feet deep. Yep. Yep. So, and that was to do that at the factory yard that weekend for unstated reasons. Then we get to November 2013, a one meter squared section of the factory that we previously discussed that was owned by the Phipps was excavated and a ground penetrating radar found one small anomaly which can indicate movement or objects within the soil, but they did not find anything when they dug. But they dug. I think you have to, you know, you exhaust all avenues at this time. I mean, this case is so old, we're not looking for survivors. We're looking for answers. Looking for answers, yeah. Yeah. Some closure. So on the 22nd of January of 2018, Adelaide detectives announced that they would return to the factory site, conduct further excavations after a private investigation sponsored by the Channel 7 Adelaide. So the excavation, which took place on February 2nd of 2018, took nine hours. They found basically garbage and animal bones and nothing related to the Beaumont case. Um, In 2017, more evidence may have come to hand as according to the... Major Crime Superintendent Des Bray, quote, there has been information that has come in that caused us in 2017 to commence a discreet investigation, which we didn't announce publicly into Harry Phipps. Yeah. Because. He's got money. He's upper echelon. Yeah. You've got to make sure your damn eyes are dotted yep. when you go after them. Yep. He says, quote, in this particular case, we've got over 30 coincidences lining up to Mr. Phipps. There you go. Despite the failed dig, there is still the possibility that Phipps was the man. There was a cottage at Castelloy that was deemed, quote, out of bounds to all staff except him, and it is alleged he dressed in satin, which aroused him. He may have taken the Beaumont children to his cottage before disposing of their bodies through another method at the site. There was a factory waste area that resembled a sand pit. Phipps may have dumped the surfboard bags in here containing their containing the children and would have hence bypassed the risky maneuver of getting people to dig the hole. Another possibility involves the furnace that Harry Phipps had access to on the factory site. There you go. That's where they went. Yep. They burned them. Yep. I mean, to be honest wow. with you, he's... He's 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 public enemy number one for me. Yeah, I think that 
the descriptions of the man that they gave in the very beginning when we started covering this is is our guy. And he dots about 27 of the 30. Right, right. I and mean, you can put a checkbox by a lot of things. But if you see that and you take a look at it too, I think it's so odd because I think all these movies that we that they make about stuff like this is loosely attached to something. If you watch Drag- Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, you got these rich people, like uber rich, super rich, and they got these little hideaway places where they do their dastardly deeds with like prostitutes or children or whatever. Disposable humans. And they're disposable humans. And with this guy having access, that body, those bodies were not buried. If he had access to a furnace, they burned them down to dust. They cremated them. And I wonder how many other people, I wonder if anybody could even go in there and, I mean, I know it's, how many years has it been? Like it, it would be an, I would do it. Could could you go? You maybe can. Well, find supposedly, can depending you pull on DNA off of ashes. No, but you can find bone fragments. bone fragments, and so it would not conclusively say. But you would know that. But you would know that that there. factory is not burning humans, and right. so therefore those bones should not be there. Yeah, I think they. I think they should go in there and probably and possibly do like a you know, do some forensics work in there and just rule it out. You know, just like Jen was telling us, even if. Uh, they find out that Gary Allen Post was not the Zodiac killer. At least they ruled him out, and they can move on to the next person, which I do think he is the Zodiac killer, 100%. But uh, this guy right here, Harry Phillips, they need to get in there, do some sort of forensics, DNA uh, uh, experiment in those furnaces, see if they can find bone fragments. If they do find them, there's a problem. You know, there's a major problem there. If you don't find them, uh, then you can rule it out. You can rule him, maybe rule him out. So we like Phipps. Uh, Cody says that her money is on Arthur Stanley. Okay. Well, that's um, our two strong candidates. Yeah. Now, I, yeah, because you, if you look at an older picture of Arthur Stanley, you have the long face. You have um, him being just a high-grade piece of shit. So, I mean. Agreed. At I would put. One A, one B. I mean, if you if you take the sketch and put it by Phipps, like you said, I, I mean, it's pretty fucking damning. He's, I mean, it's pretty spot on. And I don't it, care how drunk that guy was. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty close. You put it by the old the old bastard that you know, um, Stanley. And if he did have a long face when he was younger, there's your long face. But you know, then you got to go into my. Here's my thing though, and I I feel like this has kind of been you know kind of glassed over on both of these two. Very good suspects, in, in my opinion. Can you not interview someone and ask them if they may have had a swimsuit like that? Did they spend a lot of time at the beach? He's got photos. He's rich. Yeah. Tons of photos. You've got to be able to. People on holiday like, going on the beach and shit. Like Jen said, while it's circumstantial, it just keeps, the more circumstantial you get, the better and more complete the picture is. My money, for what it's worth... If I was a betting man, I would straight up. Uh, Harry Phipps is my guy. Harry Phipps is our is our guy. I also wonder too. Like this is something that uh, I wonder what ha- I wonder if there's a big um, abduction, disappearance, missing cases of indigenous people there. Oh, you know there are. I'm just you so curious to know because you know the Native Americans up in Canada. You know they are. You, well, they did that. They did the British government did things similar 
to the Canadians with the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tried to take the Aboriginal out of them. Yeah, yeah. Put clothes on them. I just wonder if there's tons of missing children, oh, yeah, Aboriginal are. children that are missing. Um, that was not captured by the Bunyip, and yeah, you know, the Bunyip was the white man. Maybe. So between '66 <laughs> and this is just kind of an overview summary of what this case entails. Um, between 66 and 89 in South Australia, there were a quite a few child murders. Yes. Um, this was considered up until this discovery to South Australia was considered to be a very safe environment. And this is before they knew that the backpack murderer, Ivan Malott was in the area. So, just like any of your major national cases, kind of like the Atlanta children murders changed the South forever, the Beaumont children case changed Australia overnight. Mm-hmm. People started being more vigilant. Um, you know, I kind of hinted there was uh, about the population at the beginning. Glenelg had, at the time, 5,800 people. Um, it's just, I don't know, man. It's just... And you've got any, any, like you talk about, there's multiple murders. I mean, I wish I had something with all these kids' names. We'll read them out. Um, but there's uh, recovered bodies um, of 18 children dating all the way back from 1966. You know, it's, it's just, and, and, man, I don't think one person did it all. No, they, now at the time, they believed the same killer was responsible for all the local children being murdered but like you know there is a very popular opinion that is not provable that there was a local powerful pedophile in south australia there you go um in 83 a separate pedophile ring was announced but like happens all the time money talks and bullshit walks that's right and the alleged were doctors lawyers and police officers and that's why it's never been solved. That's why it's never been. They know who it is. That's why they, but it's never been. And actually, I do have those children's names. Uh, and then we'll, we're going to, I'm going to read them off just because I feel like. Um, well, just for um, shits and giggles now, uh, South Australia is considered to be some, to be the murder capital of Australia. Oh, wow. So back then, no. Now, Yes. Is it because they have access to the beach? I think or so. there's access to things to get rid of bodies easier. Well, and it's probably a lot of transient population there. It's probably like you know Florida for us. Yeah, true. You know, everybody's vacationing in there. Three to five days, the whole place flips over, mm-hmm. and yeah. you could be from two hours or twenty-two hours away. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's it. I think that's. I think that's it, man. I think that. I think there's a. Super prolific uh, upper echelon pedophilia ring. Uh, this guy was in charge of it, and uh, maybe that all these these kids missing. Uh, they they were victims of it. So and you got the Belmont children, Jane, Arna, and Grant uh, in 1966, and then you have uh, Patricia Schmidt. A 16 year old body was found off a dirt track in Hallett Cove in 1971. Joanne Radcliffe and Christy Gordon. Uh, jo- Joanne was 11. Uh, Christy was four. Disappeared in a, um, what is it? Adelaide Oval. Yep. 
Uh, and then you got Marilyn Quellman, 14-year-old, disappeared from Marook in September of 1975. Uh, Alan Barnes, a 17-year-old boy, was found under a South Para bridge near Williamstown in June of 1979. Uh, you got Peter uh, Stogniff, 14-year-old, remains were found uh, at Two Wells property. Uh, June 1992, almost 10 months after he disappeared. And you got uh, Michaela Gouda, 15-year-old, disappeared uh, from Elizabeth Field uh, overnight from uh, from her home in 1982. Richard Kelvin, 15-year-old body, 15-year-old's body was found near an airstrip in 1983, 19 days after he was abducted in North Adelaide Lineway. Uh, Bevan Spencer Von Enum. I won't keep on calling him Eminem. I know. I was, was convicted. I, I know. I'm like, Mom Spaghetti. The Pierce family, uh, the bodies of Meredith Pierce and her three children, Adam, 11, Travis, 9, and Carrie, 2, were found in a burnout remain of their home on January 6, 91. They have been looking for the children's father, Stuart Pierce, ever since. You have Juan Morgan, a 15-year-old, disappeared in 92, and although he was not reporting missing at the time, police in 99 identified him as a potential murder victim. Mm. Rihanna Burrow, the 12-year-old, was last seen at her Morfitt Vale home on October 7, 1992. Uh, you got Heather Turner. She was her 16-year-old body was found partially submerged in the Port Gawler Creek. And on January 31st, 98, about two weeks after. He was last. Was uh, that, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Yeah, he, yeah, I, don't know. I don't know. Uh, Melissa Brown or Trussell is a 15-year-old that was last seen leaving the Blair Ithal address with her mother, Rosemary Brown, on, Mar- on May 13th, 2000. Rosemary's body was found at Garden Island on January, or July 2nd, 2000. Uh, Susie Radcliffe, whose sister Joan Radcliffe disappeared from Adelaide over in August of 73, said the uh, $1 million reward leading to any of these cases being solved is a huge incentive for someone that may know something to come forward. I think you can tie them all together except for the mom and the two kids. Yeah, I think the dad did that one. Yeah, the dad did that one. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're in a situation down there where... It's like the highway. It. You know what I mean? It's the highway like the of highway tears. tears. Of, yeah. Yeah. You're right, man. I mean, it's just a... It's open season on... Um, poor on, young kids. On poor young kids. I, I don't know. I have no sympathy for anybody that mistreats a child. You know, even up to the... Even though I want to throttle my 16-year-old sometimes. Even up to that. I mean, they're still children. Yep. You know, when it comes down to it, they look to you for help and safety and i just have a hard time with people that that do shit like that if if we're looking at a a we're talking about a prolific pedophile ring with upper echelon people uh in an area when somebody dies let's just say the head of it dies it doesn't go away there's other people that's participating and being a part of this whole fucking conundrum uh, where these kids are going missing and and being murdered and found, I'm just curious about the indigenous children. I'm I'm really curious about about if there's a big uh, and maybe Cody, you can shed some light on that. 
anybody uh, in anybody Australia, in please, Australia yeah, please contact us. Um, we would love to see if if that might be you know like we call them disposable humans, and that's a terrible way to describe these people. But that's the way they. That's, the way that's not treated. we. That's no, we not, don't say yeah, that. Yeah, that's the way they're viewed by these pieces of shit. They right. are viewed as being of a lesser class, so they are disposable. That right. is not what we're saying. Every not life, at all. Not at all. Every life matters. Right. Um, but you know, going back to the Glenn Maxwell and the whole Epstein Epstein thing. If y'all think that little ring is defunct, lost your fucking mind. Yeah, it's very well organized, and it has been for decades, maybe maybe hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I you know that's a whole another rabbit we could chase. But I mean, unfortunately. You know, it's going to take a lot of, I feel like, former military that just don't give a shit. That just starts ratting them out. I do, too. I feel that way, too. You know, kind of like the Punisher or But you know what's going to happen? Death so, wish. If or, somebody comes out and does that, then they're going to be like, oh, this crazy conspiracy person. Like, take a look at your crazy conspiracy people because they may be on to some shit. They've been uh, right so far about been, the fucking virus. Yeah. <laughs> No doubt. They ain't missed, but like maybe one. <laughs> yeah. Well, they say the, 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 uh, what is it? COVID's got more strands than, uh, marijuana. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so there's more strands of COVID than there are marijuana. So, but, uh, yeah. hey, hey, Australia, man, we, we, uh, we don't think you're a penal colony. We, yeah. <laughs> Dude, we, we know y'all are going through a hard time still, and we pray for y'all, and we hope that things get, um, somewhat back to normal and you can get your lives back together. Uh, I can't imagine living in that situation that you are going through. So we're we're rooting for you to come out on top on this thing. We are, um, and I just, you know, my heart bleeds for for people like Cody, and then there's some other ones that I follow on on uh, TikTok and Instagram that that follow us from Australia and uh, just normal everyday things that you take for granted. Like you know, we we travel to another town to go get some things and stuff here and they can't go in some, some states, I guess is what you call it in Australia. They can't go to the next town. Wow. Or you're shut in again or yeah. you're locked down or so. Yeah. Man, or the I police mean, is coming to get your ass. I've seen some videos of folks getting arrested in their own house. And I, I don't know how true that is. But well, that camp that they, that, crazy internment camp where that guy's telling her through the door, you went to the, excuse me, the fence, now I'm going to have to take you to another building. I'm like, what? This is a, it's the most <clears throat> insane shit I've ever seen. It's insane. It is insane. On so. a lighter note, um, I obviously I beat the shit out of my styrofoam cooler during the Georgia game. <laughs> I don't know how much styrofoam I've ingested over the week <laughs> drinking water, but... It's passable. It's passable. Okay, good. Because it's just a little flake. Or your inside are going to be... Uh, you're going to be insulated really well next couple of months. <laughs> I got a feeling that the ones that I find are pale in comparison to the ones that I've consumed. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus. Well, um, everybody listening to this, if you want us to dig into another uh, one of these other um, six son of a bitches, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll we'll make a special episode for them. Uh and and try to make some sense, or maybe uncover some other stuff that's out there. Yeah, we're, and I just kind of yeah, I kind of reached out to Cody, um, said, "Hey, what do you know about the Beaumont Beaumont children?" Because it was just kind of a something that was on our radar. And uh, man, 
was I impressed Jesus. at how far this went. Yeah. And so that's the thing, though. And we, unfortunately, we rely on our listeners in other countries for you to be able to give us um, information. I mean, Ivan Malad, of course, is world famous, and we yep. can find stuff on him. But some of these other ones, you know, if if you've got a conspiracy theory about a family, about the, the Phipps guy, hey, you know, send us an email. Maybe, how, maybe we can do one on Phipps. Uh, just, is he dead? Can we be sued? <laughs> Is everything allegedly? We as just, long as we just say that allegedly. Yeah, allegedly at the beginning, allegedly. Yeah, I'd like to do. I'd like to get. I'd like to dig into that a little more because I, I think that there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I think that uh, there's a lot of answers in there if we get into it. So, yeah, y'all let us know. I mean, any any conspiracy theory down there in Australia, any uh, cryptids, any of that stuff, y'all let us know, man. We we love our folks in Australia, and Cody, we promise. As soon as they don't confiscate packages, we're sending you some stuff. We're going to hook you up, sister. Yeah, yeah, for real. (laughs) All right. Hey, man, thank you for getting in here and let's get this thing knocked out. I appreciate you. Y'all have a wonderful weekend. Be good to each other or just don't leave your house. Yeah, that's it. You're special, special. you do.